Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's hands. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is evening here on January the 2nd, our first podcast in 2024. Um, any New Year's resolutions for you this year? Yeah, it's really exciting that this is our third, now our third full year doing this. And if you listen to our final podcast of 2023, we spent a little bit of time reflecting on the year that we had as a podcast and how proud we were of ourselves really of getting as many episodes out as we did and having as many fantastic guests as we did and certainly as as you mentioned the new year is always a time for reflection and goal setting whether personally or professionally or for your side projects and so uh, we are we have we certainly have podcast goals that we hope to hit this year and really just excited we we know there's going to be another wild and crazy ride in 2024 and we're, we're excited to be i'm excited to be here with you and we are excited to be here collectively with everyone that listens along along the way so yeah i'm re- really excited for this year and hopefully just bigger and better things for this podcast yeah one of those re- resolutions definitely investing more time energy and um all of it into into taking this podcast to the next level We'll see. That's where it goes. Hopefully it doesn't go the way of my diets. <clears throat> and yet, uh, but I digress. Uh, all right. Well, what are we talking about this week, our inaugural podcast of 24? Yeah, we're kicking off the year with a discussion of the 14th Amendment, which has been in the news over the previous year and we think is going to be increasingly in the news over this coming year. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the 14th Amendment historically, get into the text of it a little bit, and then obviously discuss why it is so relevant today. And just like a you know, spoiler alert, it's because this is the the measure, the legislation, the amendment that is being used in some states, notably at this point, Colorado and Maine, to keep former President Trump off of the ballot in, in those states and potentially other states as well. And so this is going to go up the Supreme Court imminently, we believe. And so we wanted to give a little bit of a non-expert breakdown of what, what's so significant about this amendment. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious and excited to see where this discussion goes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, part of it is going to be decided in the courts um, in some way or another, but the other part is obviously going to be decided in the, in sort of the court of public opinion. So what better way to uh, to inject ourselves into that foray than to give an unqualified opinion on the Fourteenth Amendment? Yeah, no, we 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 certainly think that that we might have to come, we might revisit this topic periodically, if not maybe repeatedly throughout the beginning of this year. But as as you mentioned, you know, we figured maybe kick off the year with something that we anticipate is going to be a, a major story this year. Um, but before we get into that, Ricky, a reminder 
that for the third year in a row, this podcast is brought to you by a hardworking craftsman over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. So they are now in their sixth year. Super exciting for them. Uh, this can with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, you uh, made brief mention of your diet goals for last year and maybe again for this year. Uh, well, the fir tree also had some issues getting back in shape. Why couldn't the fir tree stay in shape? Mind for too much chocolate. Well, I mean, you might be projecting there a little bit. I uh, it couldn't stick to a routine. Ooh. But hopefully for all of us, Ricky, whether it's in podcasting or in our personal lives, we can stick to routines this year. And uh, we do hit all of our resolutions. Indeed. And, you know, for anybody who needs a new routine this year, you can fit in uh, listening to your your friendly podcast at a gentleman's. Love that. Love that. Great idea. Well, since we ended the intro in shameless self-promotion, I figure might as well start this episode with some more shameless self-promotion. Brennan, in episode 80 of A Gentleman's Disagreement, uh, you noted July 9th, 1866 as one of the most important dates in U.S. history. Why Why did you pick that date? So Ricky is referencing the draft the annual president's day draft that we do and in, in this past february's draft we picked the the most important as he just said the most important dates in presidential history and myself ricky our friends dan and joe we all picked four and uh, for me yeah july 9th 1868 um was made my list because that was the day that the 14th amendment was ratified and while you could certainly argue that other post bill of rights amendments were more important. And I know, uh, I, I think Dan had uh, the 19th amendment. No, you had the 19th amendment on, on your list, right? So that, which would um, guaranteed women, granted women the right to vote, so obviously super important. But for me, the 14th amendment undergirds so many of the rights that have become central to our country, our democracy over the last 150 years. And so Besides the Bill of Rights, and even I would argue, I would put it right up there with many of the rights guaranteed by the Bill of Rights. I think that the 14th Amendment is one of the most significant uh, piece of legislation ever passed in, in the history of this country. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit about all of the like the components of it. But um, yeah, that's why for me, that, that's why it made my, my Mount Rushmore of most of significant dates in American history. Yeah, so it's, I mean, we will talk about a particular subsection of the 14th Amendment at at length, potentially ad nauseum today, but I wanted to start with a bit of that context. So um, the 14th Amendment was proposed shortly after the Civil War, as we know, the bloodiest conflict on U.S. soil between the North and the South, the Confederacy and the Union, um, close to, I think, three quarters of a million soldiers died during the conflict, you know, th- hundreds of thousands more people displaced and really, a, a you, you could say, one of the most trying times for a pretty young country um, in the United States, less than 
90 years old, I think at the time. Um, and coming off of that, there were some amendments. Um, obviously the 14th amendment is one of the ones that gets brought up a lot because of this clause that often gets referenced in many other landmark cases known as the equal protection clause. Talk to me a little bit about the equal equal protection clause. I know you've thought that in some ways it should be more broadly applied, but that it has been applied in so many different ways, um, you know, since this amendment's introduction. Yeah, I don't know if I'll answer your question directly, but I, I do want to add on to some of the things that you were saying. The period post-Civil War is known in some circles as a, like a second founding, right? Where this is almost, we had, we knew pretty much from, the get-go in our country that we were going to have to address the issue of slavery like it's it, we it was in it was partially but barely addressed in the constitution obviously infamously the word slave or slavery is never actually put into the constitution but we have the three-fifths clause we have the, the the you know that this the trade will will continue until at least i think 1807 before we could uh potentially restricted after the international slave trade until after that but we knew for the entirety of the first half of the 19th century that we were careening towards this conflict um which obviously culminated in, in the civil war but we have whether it's you know the missouri compromise or uh kansas nebraska all of these things are leading up toward that and so finally once the civil war and all of the the, the tragedy that it encompasses that you mentioned it happens it's over and it's a, it's a chance to almost reset like we, we almost have this new country which is why i think this is period is known as the second founder. We get the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments within three years of each other. Um, those include the abolition of, of slavery, the 14th amendment, all of that that's included, and also the right to vote in the 15th amendment. Um, so what's most famous in the 14th amendment, again, as you said, is section one. So section one is two sentences, four clauses, and in incredibly significant, everything that stemmed from those two sentences. The first sentence, establishes birthright citizenship. Originally, it was meant that, hey, if you were born in the United States, like as, as a Black individual, Black man, I guess, you, you had the right to vote. This was later extended in the U.S. Supreme Court case, Wong Kim Ark, to anybody that was for Chinese Americans at that point, but really anybody born in the United States. And obviously, birthright citizenship continues to be in the news and important today. The second sentence, you get the Privileges and Immunities Clause, the due process clause and the equal protection clause. Again, these are foundational clauses in, in terms of guaranteeing rights to individuals in the United States. And I guess one final thing I'll say before turning it back over to you is that the big concern at the first founding was that people didn't want to have a government that was a federal government that was too powerful, right? Coming out of the, you know, the, the monarchy under um, King George III and, and previous British monarchs, there was a real concern about turning over too much state and individual power to the federal government. Like that's how we got originally um, the the article the, the Articles of Confederation, and we're trying trying to find the right balance. But that's why a lot of reasons why the Bill of Rights was to make sure that individuals and states, and if you look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, wanted to make sure that individuals and states weren't giving up any more rights to the federal government than was absolutely necessary to run a country. The second founding is a little bit different. It was almost as if you know the states had kind of they had been granted this privilege at the founding and then they lost it through their actions. 
right? Like they, because of the way that they treated black Americans and other minorities in, in their states, the federal government essentially said like, you can't be trusted anymore. And it's it was in a lot of ways, I think these amendments are curbing state power. This is saying that the federal government is going to be able to enforce these individual rights that were originally guaranteed under the, the Bill of Rights federally, but now we're going to apply them to the states. Um, and so I think that's really significant. And we'll also get into, uh, I think, some of the disagreement that we have about a different section. But that's that's my very brief overview of Section 1, the most famous section of uh, the 14th Amendment. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to kind of frame the necessity of the 14th Amendment as, you know, putting into context some of the questions that we've had or questions or discussions that we've had around prior precedent and what you have to explicitly say and what you feel like should be implicitly understood. Um, so, right. And then the second section of the 14th Amendment, which I'll sort of skip over, largely defines how you figure out how many representatives each state gets. Obviously, this is a rehashing of the old three-fifths rule and how we can't use that anymore. So we need a new way to figure out how many people live in each place. And then from there, how many representative each each state is going to get um, in the U.S. Congress and Senate. <clears throat> so then we get to Section 3, and I want to read it for you here word for word. So it says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So I want to let that sink in. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to dive into both the language, how, and then some of well, let's call it the consequences, how we interpret that language to apply to the situation that we're in today. All right, Brandon, now that I've given you a few uh, a few moments to let my raspy and silky voice um, sink in and you've had a brief chance to digest some of those words, um, what's your initial take on whether or not this applies to he... Who shall not be named now? Former President Don J. Trump. I think it could apply to him. I think at this point that it does not apply to him. That's okay. my initial. Is is there a specific section of, that you heard me say that makes you feel like, yes, this could apply, but it doesn't apply to him and why? Okay, so the first part that says that like it could apply to him where it says or hold any office civil or military under the United States uh, and who having previously taken oath to support the constitution of the United States so for me that that to me that reads as President Trump held an office of the United States the presidency as in order to take that office he swore an oath to 
preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So to me, that says he he this he could fit under this this section of the Fourteenth Amendment. The part that I am hesitant on personally would be it says shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. To me, while we can litigate, certainly we've been litigating for three years in the court of public opinion whether or not he engaged in insurrection. He has not been found to have engaged in insurrection in either Congress or a court of law at this point. Okay, so you, what you're hung up on is that he hasn't been convicted of insurrection in a court of law, um, and I and I think that that I think that that is going to be the primary way that people will sort of say that this is not a valid uh, argument. The I guess the question to you is, do you feel like he participated in an insurrection? And do you think reasonable people would feel that he participated in an insurrection against the same, the Constitution of the United States? I know reasonable people. Ricky, it feels like you were at law school right now. Reasonable people is such a like a lawyer term because there's so many things that says, "Yeah, what would a reasonable that's a reasonable person standard." So credit to you, I guess, for finding that language. I feel like it's very difficult to see what think what a reasonable person in the United States these days would think about that because I think you have hugely different reactions to this. Do I think it would be completely? Do I think it would be completely? unreasonable or irrational for a judge or jury to find that President Trump engaged in insurrection? No, I, no, no, I don't. I, 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 I think the same is going, I think it would be difficult to really argue that he didn't engage in insurrection. That doesn't necessarily meet the legal definition of insurrection. I don't know how many people have been charged ever of the crime of insurrection and how many people have been found guilty. I think it is interesting that it doesn't, <clears throat> in this section, say that you had to have been found guilty of insurrection for this section to apply. Um, I think that so, I mean, trying to take back some of the original context in which this came about, right? So in, right, <clears throat> I think I think this is actually going to be a very interesting part of this discussion because you're going to have the Democrats and the liberals being like, well, try and get into the minds of the founding fathers who came up with this amendment. Yeah. And like, do you think they were trying to like give loopholes to people in the confederacy who clearly engaged in insurrection not to um not to be able to be elected like obviously that's not what they were trying to do so you know second amendment people where are you on on the 14th here you don't you, you no longer are interested in, in what the founding fathers were intending well yeah i, I think you know i've long been a proponent of like originalist textualists and, and i know those are not exactly the same things but interpretations of the constitution I, i've we've talked about <laughs> done many episodes talking about those sorts of things and i think in that sense originalists have won the war right because you have to come with these arguments now even when we were talking about affirmative action last year justice brown jackson's our main argument was like the whole point of the 14th amendment was to protect you know black americans and, and make sure that they were given equal opportunities uh and so i, I think that's completely legitimate and i hope that 
I hope that all of these, you know, more liberal legal scholars do stick to this and say, like, let's go to the, the, you know, the original tent or the original common meaning or however you want to do of like the framers of the 14th Amendment. I, I think I would love to have that discussion. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of think that we're, you know, having that discussion right now in, in a sense that like, I don't know, like, regardless of whether he's previously been convicted of insurrection, right, the facts of January 6th are relatively open and shut, right? Like, we know where he was, we know the words that he used prior to effectively instructing a mob of people to go to the Capitol and, and obstruct an act of Congress that is mandated by the Constitution, another amendment, um, in terms of sort of ratifying the results of the election and having the electors choose the next president of the United States, right? Like all of that is very well documented. This little give give aid or comfort to enemies thereof. I mean, in his little speech at 4 p.m. when he's trying to tell people to go home, he's saying, we love you and you're great patriots and, you know, you're really good people. And it's a shame that they stole this election and, you know, blah, 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 right? Like a lot, a lot of that evidence is, is well, well documented. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the uh, Republican-led Senate had an opportunity to deal with this via impeachment and they chose not to do it, which is interesting. And maybe, maybe we can come back to that. At the same time, I am very, like, at, while I think personally that this is very like cut and dry i also don't want it to be applied because i know how many people will feel wronged by the decision and be feel wronged by not having had the opportunity to vote uh, what do you think about that as a reasoning for why we shouldn't apply the 14th amendment section 3 here that it is uh, in some ways, a subversion of democracy. Yeah, it's a tricky thing for me. And this is something that I've been, again, forced to confront over the course of this podcast several times where this is, Ricky, this is originally we talked about this three years ago when President Trump was impeached a second time, where I was in favor of the impeachment and you were not in favor of the impeachment because you were kind of like, this. there's no point in doing this. It just kind of extends like the Paul, it extends his influence. It, it continues to give him more support, which you correctly divined has continued for these three years. Every time something like this happens, more people rally to his side because they feel like it's a subversion of democracy, as you just said. The, the kind of rule of law part of me says that like it that's not that doesn't really matter like if you might disagree with this section you might think that section you know three of amendment 14 is antithetical to democracy because it, it takes the choice away from the people but we, we passed that amendment right? and like you and i have talked repeatedly about how difficult it is to pass amendments and obviously in the post-civil war era that became a little bit easier because you couldn't the states couldn't get back into the united states if they didn't pass this amendment so you can argue like how how much those amendments were really truly ratified across the country but still it's there and i think if it's there it should be applied equally to everybody and so it's this ricky it's not that different to me than when we talked about like uh you know constitutional limits 
on the ages of 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 people, whether it's was it presidents or senators or, or, or representatives. And we have minimum ages for, for those offices. We have you know, 25, 30, 35. You have to be certain ages to be a representative, a senator, or a, a president. And you could certainly argue that that's undemocratic, right? Like if, if, if people wanted to vote for a 29-year-old senator or a 34-year-old president, shouldn't they be able to do it? What well, we have term limits, right? If, like if people wanted to vote for Obama or Clinton for it, or George W. Bush for a third term, shouldn't they have been allowed to do it, right? And so I think that those arguments all to me, I don't disagree and I'm, I'm certainly very pro-democracy, but if the law is there, we should, we should follow it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's where I land on this. And if I'm going to go back to sort of the the founding fathers on this, I actually think the subversion of democracy here was exactly what they were going for, right? Like you in these Confederate states, if you let it just be a sort of a totally open election, who are they going to elect? But the Confederate generals and sort of the prominent people who they had elected previously who all just happened to sort of lead the, the Confederacy against the Union. And so you had to come up with a way of excluding them from the possible pool of, uh, yeah, of like congressmen, senators. And I think even the, I, I can't imagine that they were not thinking about also excluding a possible president from those ranks as well. Um, <clears throat> But ex almost explicitly because they thought that there's a good chance that they will be elected. And I think that that is, you know, there are different, I mean, there's also, you know, something to why we have electors in the first place and not just straight up what are, what are the total vote tallies, right? There were in many different ways like our convoluted system was intended to try and save us from ourselves in way in periods where we might not be trusted to make good decisions and i think in some ways they're like this should be a pretty low bar like most people should be able to pass this bar and you should still be able to elect them um but if they don't meet this qualification that they haven't tried to overthrow sort of the government then we think it's reasonable that they be excluded um as a as a list of a possible candidate i i think socially again it's going to be a very big problem if you don't have any it, i mean if the only people calling for his exclusion are democrats right i think a lot of people will make the argument that hey if you get him knocked off the ballot sure he may be a more extreme example but that's not going to stop you know every single <clears throat> person from trying to use this challenge to disqualify their competitor and you could really have this sort of just you know the classic republican slippery slope argument um which i don't necessarily buy here i think there are again like a sort of a reasonable pe people measuring stick for why this would make a you know cross a threshold that that many other just sort of regular riots or even sort of more boisterous protests would not. Um, but I think at the same time <clears throat> that there is just this, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's almost got to be one of those things where you would hope Republicans, if they believe in 
the constitution as as much as they cling to it in certain senses would try would would hold themselves to account on this one but i don't think you'll see that i mean i know for a fact that you won't see that and so absent that i think democrats should stay out of it um and democrats i mean like broadly those seeking to get trump knocked off a ballot uh because of this i i think it's i think it's perfectly reasonable to raise this but at the same time like that's that's one where you would hope the inner workings of the party would decide we're not going to nominate such and such person because they don't qualify under the 14th amendment section three but we know that's not right but the republican party right the republican party is going to do that in the democratic parties in many states it's now in up to 15 states i believe that have these sort of 14th amendment challenges which is why the supreme court is going to have to act on it and you mentioned both colorado and maine colorado was decided by the the supreme court of the state of colorado but the situation of maine was decided by the secretary of state of maine who is who does happen to be democrat and this is in the 15 other states you know include a lot of either blue or purple states that are trying to keep him off the ballot. And so this is just an, another thing politically where President Trump can point to and say, look, they're they're out to get Trump. You know, this is this is anti-democracy. They're weaponizing the state. They don't want to let the people decide for themselves. And like it's it's been it's been a gift to him throughout the primary process. And the fact that it's happening now, I, th- I think for many of his rivals, this is almost like a, a you know, a death wish for them. And when you see them come out, and Ricky, this is kind of across the spectrum, kind of agreeing with you, like Chris Christie, who has been the only person in the Republican primary to you know to try to challenge Trump directly. It said he says, "quote It makes him a martyr." You know, he's very good at playing poor me, poor me. He's always complaining. The poor billionaire from New York who's spending everybody else's money to pay his legal fees, but it it does right, and what like it it does make him a martyr to millions of people. And okay, like Gavin Newsom, obviously Governor of California, opposite end of the spectrum, said. Quote, there's no doubt that Donald Trump is a threat to our liberties and even to our democracy. But in California, we defeat candidates at the polls. Everything else is a political distraction. And so I think there's, you know, obviously many, whether it's the never Trump crowd in the Republican Party or former Republicans or no labels or even the Democratic Party, there's like a, many different streams that are going at him trying to prevent him from taking this office. But these, some of these streams seem to be very much in conflict. Yeah. And and credit to you for at least surfacing the the impeachment as probably the only way to have gotten him legally removed from ballots going forward. I want to talk come back to that because I originally was we again we talked about this and I it was like why are we bothering at this point for all of the reasons that you correctly and like politically you were correct. But legally I think I was still correct. And the reason that they did it, the reason that Pelosi did it really in in the house in was that without that was the only way to stop him like people correctly divined that as maybe as dire as it seemed for him at the beginning of 2021 in the court of public opinion you know americans tend to have like short memories in some ways and we tend we tend to love a comeback story and all all of, all of these reasons people knew that he if you didn't prevent him from or you didn't like make him go away he wasn't going to go away and he hasn't and that was the chance to do it and there was the house brought one count one count of, of insurrection against him. And the Senate, Ricky, you were actually, I, 
well, I think we forget a little bit. It was 57-43 in the Senate, which was still 10 votes shy of the two-thirds majority needed. But seven Republican senators did vote to impeach him on, on those grounds. So it wasn't like it was, it was, I think, maybe I might have to fact check myself on this, but I think it was the closest impeachment has ever gotten to like actually going forward in, in the Senate. Uh, but that was the chance. That's exactly why that we did it. And that to me, Ricky, is also why it doesn't apply. This like section three doesn't apply to President Trump yet, because in addition to like all you quoted section three, it's an entirety, but section five of the 14th amendment says, quote, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislations, the provisions of this article. And originally, as you noted, the insurrection where it's referred to as the insurrection, the rebellion was obviously in reference to the civil war. But once they expanded it to include any future insurrections, essentially what they did is they gave Congress the power to pass legislation to say that like X, Y, and Z participated in insurrection. Congress had the chance to do that back in February, January, and February of 2021. And they voted for all the reasons that we know to say that he didn't. To me, that means it doesn't apply. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the Supreme Court comes out and, and says on this. All right. Well, just uh, I, I'm also super interested. Just I think if I, if you can kind of remove yourself from like the potentially dire consequences of like us as a democracy in a country of like of law and order and the rule of law, it's fascinating because like how many constitutional provisions, amendments, sections have not been litigated at the highest level. And this one hasn't. And that's why I do think it's, it's fascinating. Originally, Ricky, I was going to say I'd be shocked if they took on the question of whether or not he engaged in insurrection. But then I was also looking at this court and be like, some of these people <laughs> probably directly want to take on this question and just like solve it right now. But my my guess is that Roberts is going to cobble together some sort of majority that essentially punts this and says that whether they say he hasn't actually been convicted yet and like come back to us if and when he is convicted or to say that this is a political question, which is this whole legal theory. If people study legal, like constitutional law at all probably goes back to Marbury v. Madison, the John Marshall opinion that that essentially says that their separation of powers prevents the court from actually opining on matters that are more like purely political. The court could say that this is a political matter, kind of leave it up to the voters. They, I mean, I think there are many ways they could punt on this and likely will. But yeah, I'll certainly be fascinated. Another thing, Ricky, is that like this has to be done soon, right? Like originally Colorado stayed their decision until January 4th, which is two days from now. Because they they have to get the the ballots out. I think Colorado's primary is March twelfth or early March. Like same in Maine's is is similar. Like they have to print these ballots and start sending out like absentee ballots and getting them ready. So the question of is the Supreme Court going to act on this one? I think it has to, given what's happened in Maine and Colorado. But it, it so it'll be fascinating because it's on a super expedited timeline. This is I guess the last time we really saw this Bush v. Gore. They acted in three days, but they're going to have to do something pretty similar in the next like two weeks on this topic. Yeah, um, I guess two two things on that. I think it is is a bit interesting to me that right section five does sort of say that Congress has the power to enforce by appropriate le legislation the provisions of this article, but I don't think they ever did anything when it came to the Confederates who were basically pro prohibited from being on the ballot, and many of them were actually then reinstated by votes of the house so in 
I, I think a reasonable person could also infer that the, it's the presumption of guilt in this case. This isn't like a, uh, a regular criminal proceeding where you're presumed innocent until proven guilty. This one is, you might be guilty here until two thirds of the house uh, votes you as not guilty. So I think that's, I, I think that that could be an interesting argument made. Again, I don't really think that this is the going to be sort of the most expedient way of dealing with this from a, how does the country get beyond Trump at some point? Um, so from that perspective, I kind of hope that it doesn't work out that way. But I I really have trouble if if you're someone who really tries to get into the minds of the founding fathers and looking at looking at section three of, of the 14th amendment and not feeling like mm, this seems pretty cut and dry, whether I like it or not, whether I want it to do what, you know, whether I want it to say what it says, this is what it says. And specifically for this Supreme court who for all intents and purposes was put there under the guise of not being political, but being originalist, but being textualist. I I'm curious how they find. And I think that like I notion of like, oh, the Supreme Court's not supposed to decide political things is a bunch of absolute <laughs> BS because they frequently do. And and there are, of course, presidential elections are different because we know that there is a way for the people to decide this. But again, I think that the purpose of section three was to say that we want to remove the like the democratic process from this specific instance because we don't think it works when you have yeah anyways so i think all of that will be interesting two two things to say about colorado which had a ruling come out of its supreme court versus maine which as i think you mentioned was basically their secretary of state who who uh, sort of unilaterally removed Trump from the balloting, citing the same amendment. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting way things play out in terms of who decides that he gets to stay or go. We definitely don't want that. So obviously, you know, hopefully with the Supreme Court ruling, we'll, we can get beyond that. Um, well, I, you, you referenced the Colorado opinion, and no one has time, I don't think, to go back to and read this opinion. It's 213 pages, including the three different dissents. But one of the, the dissents uh, by Justice Samour, S-A-M-O-U-R, I'm not sure how to pronounce that person's name, uh, essentially said that. It was like, they were like, I can't imagine that the founders wanted state by state, like ad hoc people deciding whether or not this person belongs on the ballot and that potentially he's not on the ballot in 15 states, but he's on the ballot in 35 states. He was, he was just like, just like from a practicality standpoint, the, the framers of the 14th Amendment could not have possibly wanted something like that, right? Like, because that I think that's, that's antithetic to like so much of what you were trying to do at that time of like unifying the country around that. So yeah, I think uh, I, that's why I, it, we have to decide on this one way or the other. Yeah, well, I think we're, we're going to see this play out hopefully sooner rather than later as there is still a, a primary process supposedly going on. <laughs> I mean, with the 13 days until the Iowa caucuses, um, I want to give a quick plug, Ricky. Uh, this guy, Stephen Portnoy, uh, who write, was writing for ABC News, did a really interesting dive into like the, the debates, the congressional debates around the 14th Amendment that I found really valuable as someone that does very much believe that we should go back and see like what they intended to do. And so just 
if people don't want to go look that up, I'll give kind of a, an overview of, of what his research found was that what originally passed the House, the original version of Section 3, had an end date on it. It was said until 1870. So they were pretty much like, hey, we're going to give a few years where we don't want these Confederates, like, because of, they, they said explicitly, the insurrection, the rebellion. But what happened, once it got to the Senate, the Senate was pretty much like, no, I think this this should be kind of permanent for anybody that engaged in insurrection. Obviously, President Andrew Johnson then gave like blanket pardons <laughs> like a couple months later. So this never actually applied in a lot of ways. But so that was really interesting. And then uh, so then there was the question of was this very specific to the Confederate rebellion or was this meant to go forward? And there's only one line about that. But the, the senator from West Virginia at the time um, said that I'm going to get the quote. He said, quote, this is to go into our constitution to stand to govern future insurrection as well as the present. And I should like to have that point definitely understood. Peter Van Winkle from West Virginia. So I think that's really important because I know there will be questions about that. And then the, the other part was originally in Colorado, the district court found that President Trump engaged in insurrection, but that Section 3 didn't apply to him because it doesn't say the office of the presidency. Right. It says specifically senators or representatives. And then it kind of says later, two clauses later or any other office, which is what I had pointed to earlier. Um, but there's only one reference to it. And someone someone asked the Maryland senator asked, why did you omit to exclude them? And the main senator said, quote, let me call the senator's attention to the words or hold any office civil or military under the United States. And that was all the discussion there was on that point. And so. I think there will be a lot of debate both in the court of public opinion and maybe in like the legal world over some of those phrases. But again, this is from Stephen Portnoy, ABC News's research. It seems like those questions, if we're going to be true originalists, which I hope that we are, uh, th those questions seem to have been answered. Yeah, well, we, we we will see supposedly how they get answered by this particular Supreme Court. Um, Oh, yeah, I, I guess maybe one final note on, on uh, the 14th Amendment and why it's come up in, in recent history is uh, perhaps even lesser known, Section 4, um, that talks about the validity of uh, of public debt. So this this piece, very little known piece of, of the 14th Amendment comes up uh, every time we talk about the debt ceiling and whether or not the Congress could actually have um, made laws around like whether or not we could have a debt ceiling, which I, I thought I thought was interesting because really this amendment seems to be like a, and it's all over the place and yet it's so important at the same time. Yeah, this is where like abortion rights were protected under substantive due process, like gay rights, gay marriage, all that stuff has been under you know section one of the the First Amendment. Uh, certainly all of the equal protection jurisprudence like from brown or whatever like it's uh, i it all stems from this amendment which is why to kind of circle back to where we started july 9th 1868 ratification of the 14th amendment one of the most significant dates in american history look i mean we're still what is it 166 years later we're still talking literally debating the meaning of the words of this amendment that's very quick math proud of you uh, yeah, so as we kind of gave a brief disclaimer at the beginning, Ricky is, I think, far more educated on this than a typical layperson, and I'm probably far less educated than a typical lawyer on this. We are neither of us claim to be experts on it. We we did just kind of want to give kind of more lay opinions about this because for 
people like, listen, hopefully this will give you something when this comes up at, you know, a dinner party or at the bar or whatever that you have hopefully now some sort of uh, like foundational understanding. If this continues to go forward and we expect that it will, perhaps we'll bring on some some people that are actual experts on, on this topic to discuss it further. But Ricky, to your credit, we were debating like, what, what should we start this year off with? I think maybe we should just talk about the 14th Amendment because it's going to be so significant and dominate so much discussion over the course of the year. So I give you credit because I have found this exercise valuable and hope other people did as well. Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile for everyone to sort of, you know, regardless of what the court says, because you're going to be inundated with sound bites and other things, either for or against its application or whether or not it makes, you know, whether or not we should do it. So take a little time to to read this. And if you're like me, maybe peruse through a couple other amendments that you forgot were there and then uh and yeah, and just and 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 digest it a little bit and and think about how you'd form your own opinion or you know what Kelly said, even see what other sort of supporting research around this has been. I, I feel like it's one of those things that is so easy to just take the TikTok or Instagram reel of some guy stringing together a few catchy phrases and being like, oh yeah, I know what's going on, but there's almost invariably so much more to it than that and it's it's i feel like it's important to understand it'll make you feel better probably probably make you feel better about the outcome one way or the other i'll say that Agreed. all right well it's been a pleasure taking off the new year right happy 2024 to everyone out there until next time buddy yep We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised but what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though we did not share The pains we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better than a ram Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The values sometimes being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give for the Hope I used to find in a, a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Because though we didn't share Opinions we share like American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz 
hope behind the bluster Cause the old Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through well, I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find And change the lies head And folks with different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz Well, I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find And change the lies head Folks are different minds Because though we did not Share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz